things we're encouraging you to do is to try to be at the same table with the people that you were here with last week. And if you weren't here last week because we made you go to a confirmation meeting or something like that, uh, there were a couple of holes of tables. Feel free to land somewhere. A couple of extra tables this morning uh, as well. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you'll need one. There's a couple extra up here you can grab if you need. Uh, there's a few more large print for the people who asked for the large print. Uh, so come grab a Bible if you didn't bring one yourself. Also, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. And so if you didn't get one of the worksheets from last week, there are a bunch of extras up on the counter. Please grab one of those as well. All right? So you'll need a Bible. You'll need the three-page sheet, probably something to write with. You guys are coming in. Yeah, here, here. All right, and if you, if you have those Bibles, in order to expedite, to hurry, <laughs> to create some efficiency today, uh, what I would love for you to do is to have your Bible ready at Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. We're going to get to this story of Martha and Mary in short order, and so I'd love for you just to have that ready to go. And then if you want, uh, if, if this is helpful for you, you can always find Philippians chapter 4, which we'll also be looking at. You can put a marker in there if you want, put a pen in there. If you don't have little fancy tabs, that's okay too. We can get to Philippians 4 in just a minute. Uh, but we will look first at Luke chapter 10 and then Philippians chapter 4. Uh, before we dive in, friends, let's, uh, let's spend just a little bit of time uh, in prayer, okay? Good and gracious Father, as we enter into prayer now, we pause to be still. And we pause to breathe slowly. And we pause to gather up our scattered senses upon your presence. Father, as we enter into a time of study this morning, as we enter into conversation with sisters and brothers in faith, Lord, we ask that this morning you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts that are soft to your leading. We pray, good Father, that you, that you would speak and that we would listen. This we ask in the powerful and the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. All right, I said last time that we would begin, ultimately, we would begin with some questions that I was hopeful uh, you will have gotten to over the course of the week. Those questions really were beginning on page two. 
Uh, and I want to just take a good six, seven minutes at your table to talk about what it is you noted here, right? What types of busyness best reflect your life? A healthy busy or an unhealthy busy? You'll remember if you watched the video last week, whether you were here or whether you caught that on Right Now Media, uh, Pastor Comer talks about two kinds of busyness, a healthy kind where your schedule is just full but not overly full, and an unhealthy kind where you feel like you can never catch up. And so which describes your life and why? And then to press in, and this is a little vulnerable, but I think the vulnerability is worth it actually, uh, what other negative effects can busyness have on our mental health, right? Which, if any of you had to wrestle with in your own life, and then what kind of behaviors, escapist behaviors, tempt you when you need to disconnect from the busyness of life, right? I, ne- I mentioned last time, like, I, I could binge watch uh, a series easily. I could watch Jack Ryan all four seasons, right? No problem uh, for escapists. Maybe, maybe for you, right, it's, it's a Pinterest board. Maybe it's uh, Instagram scrolls. I don't, I don't know. But to share, like, what are those escapist behaviors that you tend to move towards, that you're tempted by? And in what ways, I think this is an important question, in what ways have those escapes distracted you rather than actually giving you rest that you need? And then, bless you, and then, (laughs) what could it look like for you to readjust the busiest day next week? You know, what activities or demands could you cut out of your schedule? That's not an easy question, but one that's worth wrestling. So, about seven minutes, and then we'll come back together to look at Luke chapter 10. All right? Go. Ten seconds. Five seconds. All right, friends, come on back. A lot of good conversation happening. I would love, I would love just briefly before we dive into this text in Luke, I'd love just briefly uh, to talk a little bit about those escapist behaviors, uh, the things we tend to move towards um, in order to sort of, quote, disconnect, but actually keep us more distracted than they do provide rest. Uh, anyone who want to provide, uh, what's, what's your escapist behavior, or what's one, perhaps, of your escapist behaviors? Hey, we're all going to Winnie's later, that's right. Yeah, so, so sometimes, right, the activity, uh, it, does, it doesn't have to be these things of social media. Winnie's talking about for her, right, the, those moments where I'd, I'd go busy myself with bread making. Oh, yeah, good. Other escapist behaviors? Yeah, Matt. Yeah. Yeah, so, so for Matt, uh, man, I, we're, we're like on a food theme already. I don't know what that means. Uh, we're, we're minus donuts this week. Maybe that's what that means. I don't know. Uh, so, so Matt, for you, right, it's, I quote the man cave, which is out back on the deck uh, smoking some meat, which is great. I'm, I'm curious, um, you know, how, how does that, and I'm sure you talked about it, like how, how does that particular behavior uh, actually distract you? Right, rather than give you rest. Because there are particular behaviors that give us rest, but what, what Comer's talking about is we, we have these sort of escapist 
behaviors that become greater distractions and keep us from rest. They don't actually become restful for us. And so maybe, you know, this may be sometimes a fine line, right? Whether it's bread baking or it's smoking meat out back. Like, on one hand, it could be restful. But somehow, right, in some way, it moves us to a place that becomes a distraction from the more important things. Any other escapist behaviors? Yeah, Karen. I think the computer is a big escape. The computer. Mm-hmm. Or else. Whether it be looking at Facebook or yeah. whatever, you get involved in that and you take yourself the whole world to do our soul. Right? I mean, it's not healthy, I don't think. Yeah. It's not healthy. Yeah, so Karen is saying, uh, again, that the computer can become that place, right? Uh, the internet is endless. Right? It, it, it'll just go forever. And if you are a rabbit hole kind of person, right, those rabbit holes go to eternity. Right? They, they, just, they just keep going. Or sometimes it's game playing. Right? You said Sudoku. Right? I, I know a number of people who are words with friends people. Right? When they words with friends and that can take over. Sure. Other things. Dave? That's escapist for you? Absolutely. And it becomes a distraction to more important things, or is it restful for you? Right, so, so this is the, this is the, this is, Dave, you're right on, right? The, the question is, what behavior do we use that we think actually gives us rest but doesn't? That's the question, right? What are the behaviors that we think give us rest but don't? So the computer's a good idea. Like, I, I think I'm getting rest when I get on just to, you know, check Facebook or whatever, but two hours later, I realize that I'm actually not rested, and all the things I had to do, I still have to do. Right? We, we all have a behavior that we, that we actually think is restful, and we're using it to kind of escape the busyness and the hurry of our life. But what we discover, right, is that actually, actually, it's a distraction, right? and it, it doesn't give us rest at all. And it really is, friends, it really is important to take stock of what that is for you because it probably, you probably do lots of it unconsciously. Right? You just go to those things. They're just habits. You've somehow habited yourselves into them and it becomes really hard to habit yourself out of them. As you talk to the table in this last question, what could it look like for you to readjust the busiest day next week? I'm curious if at the table there was some like, that sounds awesome, but in reality, not possible. How how many of you think the question's just like off the, like, I don't even even know why we're asking this question, right? I mean, just honestly, right? Like, there's probably lots of us who are like, I can't take my busiest day and rearrange it. You'd have to call in sick, yeah, or tell your kids, good luck, right, and have a good day, yeah, yeah, and the question is, I mean, the question is pointed, and for lots of us thinking about our busiest day, and could I readjust it, for lots of us, it probably is really hard to do, but we, but we need to ask the next question, which is Why? Why is it hard to do? Because at, at, at the very bottom, and this is, I think, what Pastor Comer is going to get to over time, at the, at the very core of us, there is a fear, a worry, or an anxiety 
that if we don't whatever, something's going to tank, right? If we don't whatever, then we're not living up to the expectations that people have on us, right? If, if we don't whatever, right, there, there is a why, right? there is a why to why it's difficult. And the question for us to really explore is what is that why? Or what is the real worry, the real anxiety, the real fear that's sitting in the background right, of redesigning our busiest days? Now, I don't think what Comer is suggesting here, to be fair to him, I don't think he's saying, like, take your busiest day and get rid of all the things on that day. I think what he's asking is, what would it look like to shift that day, right, uh, so, that, so that it's not as full? So there's actually space to think, right, to feel, and to rest. It, does, it would be impossible for me to take my busiest day and just get rid of everything, but perhaps a readjustment, right, to find a little bit of that space and time. All right, let's do this. We're going to get into Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 38. And we read this last week, and I want to read it again. I know that for some in the room, uh, this, this is a challenging text. But it does, I think, illustrate the point that Comer is trying to get us to. So we'll start right at verse 38. Now, as they went on their way... Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, <laughs> You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. All right, I would love for you just, just briefly, like two minutes here, uh, there's a couple of questions to just explore a little bit. What were the differences between Mary and Martha's behavior while Jesus was around? And in what ways do you think it reflects a healthy or unhealthy behavior? And then this question, do Mary's actions bother you? <laughs> and if so, again, why? That's a harder question. And if you just want to look at those two, just get a couple notes down, then I want you to share it at the table and we'll come back and talk some of the details of this text. So just, just two minutes to get a couple of notes down. All right, let's come on back. All right, just by, just by show of hands, just by a show of hands, you can raise these loud and proud. For, for whom do Mary's actions bother you? Go ahead, if that's you. Support group after we're over, you guys can get together. <laughs> yeah, let's talk a little bit about what's happening here, all right? So again, a little bit of context. The context of a biblical text always matters. What's, what's happening, right? Because we jump into these kind of right in the middle and it's worth grabbing what's going on. In, in, in Luke's gospel, friends, if you're note takers, these are things just worth kind of getting down on paper or into a notebook or in your Bibles, that's fine. But in, in Luke's gospel, at the end really of chapter nine, if we were to look at chapter nine, 
Uh, right towards the end, it's in 51, right? Verse 51, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus has now in mind from Luke chapter 9, verse 51, the work of cross and resurrection. Like He, he is headed to one place and one place only. Uh, he has a very specific purpose, and his face is set towards that purpose. And so Luke then, in Luke's gospel, we're just going to see him kind of on the move, right? Heading towards Jerusalem and lots of things kind of happening on the ways. And so like Pastor Comer said in the first video, Jesus is busy. Not unhealthily busy, but he's busy. He's got a, he's got a full calendar. So they're on their way. <clears throat> they're on their way. And as they went, this is what Luke records here in verse 38. As they went, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Now, let's stop here for just a second, because Martha, uh, I can't say this enough, Martha is doing a good work. We, we should take note, right? Like, Martha is doing a good work. In fact, Martha is continuing a good work that began in Luke chapter 8. So if you want to click quickly flip there. You can. This is verses eight, uh, chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. I'll read verse 1, but we'll see what I mean here in verse 2 and 3. So soon afterward, he, this is Jesus, went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. So Jesus is doing the Jesus thing. And the twelve were with him. And here, this is verse 2, and also some women uh, who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, uh, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Now, I share that because I think Martha is continuing that good work. And she's continuing the good work of providing for Jesus and the crowd that's with him, particularly of disciples, for the sake of the ministry, for the sake of the kingdom. Mar- Martha's doing a good thing. It should be noted that she's doing a good thing. Now we know, it says, that she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now, if if you're using your own Bibles, again, I I would probably underline or circle or highlight sat at the Lord's feet. It's a really interesting posture. Uh, It is the posture of a student to a teacher. It's the posture of a student to a teacher. She's postured herself to the place of learning, to, to hear from him. And it is, it is interesting if we were to sort of open up the rest of the Gospel of Luke and we said, who are the other people that sit at the feet of Jesus with rapt attention? There are two others. The first one, the first one is in chapter 7, verse 38. This is the story of a sinful woman who anoints Jesus' feet. She sits at the feet of Jesus. The other comes in chapter 8, verse 35. And this is a man from whom Jesus casts out a legion of demons. Now, now, why do I share it? I, I just find some, something interesting about the people who are sitting at the feet of Jesus with rapt attention. 
The disciples are obviously around, but we don't see that kind of rapt attention from people that you'd expect to see it. In this case, it's from people who would be kind of on the outside, perhaps overlooked. So here's Mary, the sister of Martha, sitting at the feet of Jesus with rapt attention to what it is he has to say. Verse 40 says, Martha was distracted with much serving. Uh, This word, for those of you who like words, uh, the the Greek word here literally means to be dragged around. Now, we've translated distracted, but it literally means to be dragged around. So if you're just listening to that in context, right, Martha was being dragged around by all the serving she had to do. But to be dragged around means something is dragging you. What's dragging Martha around? Is it a worry? Is it a fear? Is it just this good work of showing hospitality? And so she goes up to Jesus and she says, Lord, can can we talk about the boldness of Martha here just for a moment? I just love it. Lord, do you not care? that my sister has left me to serve all alone. Tell her to help me. Rock on. Like that, that is some serious boldness. I appreciate that out of her. But the Lord answers her, Martha, Martha. This is one of those moments again where I would love to hear the tonality of Jesus' voice. Is it a reprimand? Is it compassion and care? Is it that Jesus wants something more for her? And that that something more for her is more important than the serving she's doing? Martha, Martha, he says, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, I'm, I'm reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version, which is, in my opinion, not the most friendly to read. But I do think from, an, from a translation perspective, it is, it is one that works really hard to capture kind of original languages in terms of the word order and word choice. And so the word here, good portion, right? the word here, good portion, is a reference to food. She's chosen the good portion. And it's a reference to food. Now, some of you are like, okay. But Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And he's saying she's chosen the good portion of food. I'm the bread of life. She's chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. It is interesting, again, if you're a note taker, it is interesting, I think, that in this text, both Martha and Mary show hospitality to Jesus. I think they both show hospitality to Jesus. The question is, what's different in their hospitality? So for a minute at your table, 
how are their hospitalities different? They both show hospitality, but how is it different? All right? Let me give you like a minute, minute and a half, and we'll come back to that question. Go. Yes, sir. No, but that would be awesome. So Les's question was, does, does the original language actually give us some sense of the tonality of Jesus's voice? And the answer is no. We can't, we can't get anything from the language. Now, we, we could surmise, and commentators have, that, that Jesus, when he uses a name twice, which is what he does here, right? Martha once, then Martha again. We tend to see those in narratives that have some level of compassion to them. So, so I can't tell from the language itself, but I, but I can say, like, if I look at Jesus and the number of times that he uses two names together throughout the Gospels, the context of those narratives tends to be one of compassion. So in this case, right, I think Jesus is speaking compassionately, not as a reprimand. So he'll use Peter, right? He'll use Peter twice uh, late in the gospel, particularly uh, when he's trying to reinstate him. I have to go back and look, but I can bring them for you next week. Yeah. It's a really interesting, uh, there's not a lot of them, uh, but it is sort of an interesting moment, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so here, what's the distinction between hospitality, right? That's the question. They both show hospitality to Jesus, but it's different. And how is it different? All right? For a minute, minute and a half, go. All right, come on back. So trying to make a distinction, both, both show hospitality to Jesus. The distinction is what? One commentator uh, that I read tried to succinctly put it this way. They both play host. Right? Both women play host. One in her home and one in her heart. That's concise. No, those of you who are troubled by Mary's actions perhaps are saying, uh, you know, in this case, Martha's actions are not heartless. But there is a distinction, and Jesus makes a distinction. Right? That the busyness of Martha keeps her distracted, even though they're good things, keeps her distracted from the good portion. There is a difference. Martha's not heartless. She's actually doing a good work, and a good work that began in chapter 8. But that, that good work and being busied by that good work keeps her distracted from the important thing, right, the good portion. Uh, very briefly, just, Dominic, you asked the question, so I was just thumbing through really carefully through the, uh, the gospel of, uh, of Matthew here. You'll see the double name if you're interested in chapter 13, verse 34. Uh, this is when Jesus is actually speaking over Jerusalem. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would have gathered you under my wings. Uh, you get it again. Um, you get it again late in 
22, verse 31. This is Simon, Simon. Behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have been praying for you that your faith would not fail. So those are just Luke, uh, thinking about him. So friends, I, th- I think like we, we, we get into this story because it, it does have something important to say. Remember, we talked a little bit about last time, right? That the adoption of new habits or practices is a simple journey, right? Of, of just trying to, trying to unpack what is about our life presently, what's going on or not going on, contemplating what could be ultimately, and being able to put into practice things that will be. And we also said last week that when we come to the scriptures, the scriptures often do the same thing. The scriptures reveal some things about what is, right? It reveals some things about our own hearts and minds and practices while simultaneously giving us a picture of what could be. Uh, We see that really well here in the story of Mary and Martha, right? What could be. The hard work is moving from what could be to what will be. And sometimes I think the questions here, and some of these questions come from Pastor Comer himself. So the next question on that page, right, what could it look like for you to leave the things on your schedule alone for a day and spend time in prayer? Some of us are like, yeah, I have no idea. Not like that. I don't know how that's possible. So sometimes I think the question might be a bit too large. Uh, Rather than leaving all the things alone on your schedule for a day, how how do you carve in two more minutes? What's two minutes of Facebook scrolling that I could get rid of? Right, two minutes off a computer. Right, two minutes not in front of Sports Center. Take your pick. So I think part of it is it's got to start small rather than big. And to be honest, that small steps are steps. They don't have to be huge, just small steps. So what small step could be taken? to leave things on the schedule or reorganize or realign things on your schedule so you can spend time in prayer. So I think it's gotta start small. And to move from what could be to what will be, if I really wanna start new practices, I need a community of faith. I need sisters and brothers who are gonna encourage me. The word literally means to pour courage in. If you pull the word apart, right? To pour courage in. Think about like courage being poured into a glass. The community actually helps to pour courage in to take those small steps. He does note, Jesus notes that there is worry and anxiety in Martha. And Paul has something to say. So let's go to Philippians chapter 4. All right, Philippians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 6 and 7. So Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Now I'm going to start, uh, I'm going to start just a few words before verse 6, because we're in the middle of a sentence, and so I, I, want, I want the first couple words here to set the course. So this is the end of verse 5, it says, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, 
let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So just really briefly, if you haven't written some here, what's your initial response to hearing be anxious for nothing or do not be anxious about anything? What's your initial response? Just write down what your initial response is. What's your initial response to hearing do not be anxious about anything? And at your table, at your table, just briefly, like just right around the table, what do you worry about most often? Right? What do you typically worry about? What do you worry about most often? Just briefly around the table, right? You have like a minute and a half, go. What do you worry about most often? All right, come on back. Again, friends, if, if you're using your own Bibles, if you're using your own Bibles, Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but what should we do instead? Don't be anxious, he says, but instead what? Pray. If I'm using my own Bible, like I'm, I'm underlining, highlighting, circling, I do not be anxious, but in everything pray. And what does he say the outcome of that prayer would be? Peace. Just saying that word sounds good. Right? A peace. Now, lots of us uh, will hear, uh, at the end of sermons, you'll notice, right, in the peace of God which surpasses all human understanding, guard and keep our hearts in Christ Jesus today and every day. Uh, Pastor Adam and I say that a lot. We stole it. (laughs) Surprise! We copied and pasted. Maybe that's better. We shouldn't say stole. Maybe that's probably not great. Borrowed. But, but note, right, it, it comes after the teaching of the Word. It comes after the good portion. It comes after sitting raptly at the feet of Jesus to learn. So the prayer at the end, right, is that in all things, that peace of God, right, which is beyond human understanding, in other words, you can't wrestle with it with the mind but experience it in the heart, that peace of God would guard our hearts in Christ Jesus. Friends, I'm wondering what it could look like for you to ask God for peace the next time your schedule gets really busy and it causes anxiety. What would it look like for you? You know, when I, when I hear this word, guard your heart, uh, I've been, uh, we've, we've been going to lots of football games because our oldest is in the marching band at the high school and uh, we didn't watch a lot of football growing up so my kids have no idea what, how football gets played. And I didn't realize how difficult it is to explain football to somebody who knows nothing about football, but I'm learning uh, that it is actually quite difficult. And I remember in, in week number one when we first saw uh, a referee throw a flag. 
What's the yellow thing? <laughs> right. Uh, so, so there's a penalty on the play. Right? I often think of anxiety when we start experiencing anxiety, and by God's Spirit, we're aware of that anxiety or that worry. I often think of God's Holy Spirit throwing a flag on the play. It's like, it's, there's a penalty. And of course, a penalty stops the game, right? Makes everything come to a halt for a second. Got to discover what that is. And then something happens. And so when I hear Paul talk about the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, it's going to guard your hearts. When I begin to feel unpeace or experience anxiety or worry, the sense that God's Holy Spirit is throwing a flag on the play. It's an opportunity to stop, right, to pause, to do some diagnosis of what that anxiety or that worry is. And then as Paul says, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let God know about it. So what would it look like for you to ask God for peace the next time your busy schedule begins to cause some anxiety? And when you're busy this week, what could you do to make space for spending time with Jesus? If there's some responsibilities that can wait, what are they? Let me share this last word. For many of us, I think being busy is normal. Right? We've got work, we've got family, we've got friends, even hobbies. But when we become so busy that our time spent with God decreases, our spiritual lives and our relationship with Him will start to deteriorate. So I want you to think about a typical week in your life looks like and assess how much of your time is filled with, quote, things to do. And based on what you learned, ask God to help you to make, be more aware of and to spend your time well and to what changes you could begin to make. Remember, start small. A couple of ways you could do that. There's a way to pray over the week. This is sort of this deeper walk. You can pray over your schedule. Just all the things that have to happen all the events that have to go on, all the places you gotta go, all the conversations you need to have. To pray over those things, make wise decisions about the yeses and the noes in your calendar. You could talk to somebody who's a close friend or family member about your busyness, ask them to hold you accountable to being not so busy. Now, this is my favorite, to memorize Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Don't worry about anything but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. You know, a seminary professor, both Pastor Adam and I, uh, he had a lot of the Bible memorized. And we asked once how he did it. And he said, well, <clears throat> I just took a little piece of scrap paper and I wrote a verse out on that little piece of scrap paper and I put it in my pocket. And then every time I felt it when I got into my pocket, I just pulled it out and read it. And then I put it back in my pocket. So every time I put my hands in my pocket, I just pulled out that little piece of paper and read that scripture again. Slowly over time, right? Just pulling out that verse, putting it back in your pocket, and pulling it out. Over time, got into a place where the, he's had the good portion. Maybe there's a way for you to memorize Philippians chapter 4, 6, and 7. Maybe it's a little piece of paper in your pocket. Maybe it's a screensaver on your phone. Let's pray, friends. Uh, good and gracious Father, we, we don't want to be so busy that we miss you and the work of your kingdom and spirit. So we're praying for wisdom, wisdom over our calendars, 
Wisdom to say the right yeses and the right noes. Wisdom to sit raptly at your feet and to learn from you. So, Father, I pray that you would help all of us to walk with you and to do so in peace. And when anxiety or worry begins to surface, Father, help us to turn those things to prayer. And so, Father, for these, my sisters and brothers, we pray that that peace which is beyond all understanding that would guard and keep our hearts in Christ today and every day. Amen. Friends, if you are reading the text, you'll want to read part two before we come back together next time, part two of the book. If you're reading through the book, part two uh, will help you. It's not necessary, but it certainly will help you as we come back together next week. All right? All right, get out. Get out.